for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those are verses 5 to 8 of Psalm 62, which along with Psalm 61 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, May the 17th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are uh, in the book of Wisdom, um, chapter 10, verses 1 to 21, and I gave some explanation of that yesterday. Um, If you want to go back and listen to the very first part of that podcast, uh, also in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, and then in Paul's epistle to the Romans, we finished up Colossians yesterday, so we're in Romans today, chapter 12, verses 1 to 21. So here we are in the book of Wisdom still, and as I said yesterday, this is typically ascribed to Solomon, Um, and so he's going to give us sort of salvation history of the world, essentially, beginning right at the beginning. Wisdom protected the first formed father of the world when he was alone, when he alone had been created. So prior to the creation of Eve is what he's saying. Wisdom protected him. And and so it's an interesting way of saying that because what is the first sin? The, this first sin is eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, seeking to know good and evil through some other means than wisdom. <clears throat> and so that was that's the first sin. Before that, it could be easily said that Adam navigated life uh, including the naming of all the animals, by wisdom. And then we chose another path, which we would gain knowledge of good and evil. She, wisdom, delivered him from his transgressions. In other words, kept him from his transgressions and gave, from possible transgressions, and gave him strength to rule all things. But when an unrighteous man departed from her in anger, when they were speaking of Cain, he perished because in rage he slew his brother. When the earth was flooded because of him, wisdom again saved it, steering the right righteous man by a paltry piece of wood. Isn't that a beautiful image right there? So what does it mean when it says when the earth was flooded because of him? Is that pointing back to Cain? Yes, it is. It's the descendants of Cain, his offspring, the ones who were filled with sin. That's the reason God destroyed the world is is what he's saying. But God saved it, the earth, <clears throat> steering the righteous man, Noah, by a paltry piece of wood. I mean, this thing's as big as a uh, a football field. And so if you just saw it, you would think, well, that's not hardly a paltry piece of wood, but now consider it the other way around. Consider that the entire future of the earth rides on that ark as the earth is flooded. Now, it's a paltry piece of wood in that landscape. Wisdom also, when the nations in wicked agreement had been confounded, that would be Genesis 11, that's the Tower of Babel, recognized the righteous man, that would be Abraham, and preserved him blameless before God and kept him strong in the face of his compassion for his child. And so he did. He wanted that child. Wisdom rescued a righteous man when the ungodly were perishing. He escaped the fire that descended on the five cities. That's Sodom and Gomorrah. That is Lot. Now, was Lot a righteous man? That's a good question. The The way you need to understand that is the, the word righteous there is sadiq. And there are sadiq in every generation. But the 
problem is, is it's comparative righteousness. He was righteous compared to the people he was around in Sodom and Gomorrah. But but that makes him a Sadiq. But all, not all Sadiq are created equal. In fact, they didn't even think Jonah, don't even think, not Jonah, sorry, Noah was all that righteous. They just said he was righteous compared to the scum that he was around. And so they don't hold him in the same regard that they hold, for instance, Abraham and Moses and others. So he, he escaped the fire, that's it's Sodom and Gomorrah, on the five cities. Evidence of their wickedness still remains. He said, you can still, you can go over there and find it. You can see where it is. It's a continually smoking wasteland, plants bearing fruit that does not ripen, and a pillar of salt standing as a monument to an unbelieving soul, Lot's wife. For because they passed wisdom by, they not only were hindered from recognizing the good, here we are back again to good and evil, <coughs> They not only were hindered from recognizing the good, but also left for mankind a reminder of their folly, so that their failures could never go unnoticed. In other words, there's still a memory of them there. There's still this this monument to them in that place. Wisdom rescued from troubles those who served her. When a righteous man fled from his brother's wrath, she guided him on straight paths. Now we're talking about um, Jacob and Esau. So this is Jacob fleeing from his brother's wrath. She guided him on straight paths. She showed him the kingdom of God. That's where the angels ascended and descending and gave him knowledge of angels. She prospered him in his labors and increased the fruit of his toil. And so when he worked for his father-in-law Laban, God blessed him mightily. When his oppressors were covetous, she stood by him and made him rich. She protected him from his enemies and kept him safe from those who lay in wait for him. In this arduous contest, she gave him the victory so that he might learn that godliness is more powerful than anything. That's a reference to where he wrestles with the angel on the other side of the Jabbok, which he put, the, the river, which he put between himself and his brother before he, he, when he's going back. When a righteous man was sold, Joseph, wisdom did not desert him, but delivered him from sin. She descended with him into the dungeon, and when he was in prison, she didn't leave him. But delivered him from sin refers to when Potiphar's wife tried to, tried to seduce him. And Jacob then, or Joseph, sorry, fled from that scene because of the wisdom that he had to know what to do. When he was in prison, she didn't leave him until she brought him the scepter of a kingdom, the authority over his masters, because he's number two in the kingdom, just below Pharaoh because of the dream interpretation, and because of the wisdom that he had in administering the the scarce resources of the kingdom that were becoming scarcer every year for seven years because they were having droughts. Those who accused him showed she showed to be false, and she gave him everlasting honor. A holy people and blameless race, wisdom delivered from a nation of oppressors. So this is the nation as it's been in the Exodus. She entered the soul of a servant of the Lord. This is Moses. And withstood dread kings with wonders and signs. She gave holy men the reward of their labors. She guided them along a marvelous way and became a shelter through them by day and a starry flame through the night. This is the Exodus story as they come out of Egypt. Remember, they have a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. She brought them over the Red Sea and led them through deep waters, but she drowned their enemies and cast them up from the depths of the sea. That's when Pharaoh's army goes into the Red Sea and are drowned after the Israelites have passed through on dry ground. Therefore, the righteous plundered the ungodly. They did. They, they came out with lovely parting gifts um, because the Egyptians gave them stuff as they were leaving. To Mostly to say, please leave and don't curse us. We've given you these things. 
They sang hymns, O Lord, to thy holy name. That's Exodus 14. It's the first song of praise we ever have recorded in Scripture. And praised with one accord the defending hand, because wisdom opened the mouth of the dumb and made the tongues of babes speak clearly. So what you see in that is is that all Israel joined in the praise of God after they crossed over the Red Sea and saw the ruination of Pharaoh's army. So he's given us a salvation history up to his point in time. As many of the Psalms of David do the same exact things. They recount the, the glorious deeds that God did on behalf of the nation to, in, in order to remind them that it wasn't them, it was God who did all these things. In the gospel today, we're going to get this parable that I've told you that I feel like it comes up all the time, and that's the parable of the sower of the seed. So soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Proclaiming and bringing. He's not just proclaiming, he's bringing. And what does that mean? It means he's doing healings. It means he's driving out demons. He, he is he is bringing the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. And he does that in, in proclamation and in deed. And the twelve were with him, the disciples, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So these women are accompanying the apostolic band with Jesus, and they were the ones who are providing financially for the needs of the crowd, uh, the crowd being Jesus and the twelve. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, there should be a loud voice, he who has ears, let him hear. So what's he saying there? What, what, what does it mean, all who have ears, let him hear? He's appealing to the gift of the Holy Spirit to have wisdom, to understand the meaning of the parable. You know, the, the prophets are told again and again that you're, I'm sending you to a people who are not going to listen to you. You're, you're going to have a, what looks like a completely fruitless ministry because they're not going to listen to you because they didn't listen to me. But I'm sending you because I... I owe it to them based on the covenant relationship that we have to give them warning. They can't later say, I never knew this. I didn't have a chance to repent. And so that, that's the, the point is, is that Jesus is going to tell these parables of the kingdom as he's in Jerusalem about being rejected like the prophets. God's giving them an opportunity to respond to his gracious message. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. In other words, you have been given a measure of the Holy Spirit to understand these things. And, but I'm going to have to explain it to you now because you haven't received that, that fullness of the Spirit yet. You don't understand all things the way you need to understand them because the Spirit hasn't yet been given to you fully. Even when he comes back in the resurrection, he gives them a measure of the Holy Spirit to forgive sin, to understand good and evil. And then later, at the day of Pentecost, they're given a fuller expression and infilling of the Holy Spirit. 
With us, that's not true because we live after Pentecost, when the Spirit's poured out on all flesh. So you don't have a junior Holy Spirit and somebody else have a, have a greater Holy Spirit. No, it, the, 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 we all have the same amount of the Holy Spirit if we believe and if we speak with our mouth and believe in our hearts. that We have the same measure of the Holy Spirit. It just depends on what we're going to live from. Are we going to rely on him or are we going to rely on worldly wisdom? And, and that depends on what our goals are, frankly. He says, so to you, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. For others, they're in parables so that, quote, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand, which is exactly, he's quoting God's words to the prophets when he says that last part, seeing that they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable's this, the seed is the word of God. It doesn't get any simpler. I don't need to add anything, I don't think, to Jesus' explanation. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word of God, receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they're those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by three things. The cares of this life, and there's certainly plenty of those, riches, which are a snare, and pleasures of life, and their fruit doesn't mature. So they want all these things that they get bogged down in, in the stuff of life and allow themselves to be overwhelmed by that. And then their desires are for riches and pleasure. And so everything just goes away. They don't produce anything that matures. As for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Their mind is set on the kingdom of God. That's the most important thing in their lives. They're, they're not concerned about all those other things because cares, riches, and pleasure can all be summed up in one word, but, but it's more important to say it in three words. It's concerns. What is it you are concerned with? Is it the cares of this life? Is it riches that are possible or is it pleasures that are possible? Those three things all distract us from bearing fruit. Because they, they don't get the nourishment that they need. We're nourishing these other things. We're giving those things our attention. And so that, that's a great snare and a danger to us to do that. And so we need to hold fast in an honest and good heart, a heart that's fixed on his kingdom. In the Romans passage, the first 11 chapters of, of Romans are, are pretty heady theology, convicting all, every person on earth, of sin and their need for a Savior because you have sin. <laughs> I mean, it's just that simple. It's just with this one thing. If you sinned once, you need a Savior. That's his entire argument. And, th- and then it's, you've all sinned more than once, by the way. So now he turns from that to speaking to those who have been convicted and those who have been saved, and he begins to tell them how to live. These are the things you do. This is If you wanted to say, what does it mean to be a Christian? This passage from Romans it is a really good synopsis, right? So he appealed to you, therefore, brothers, because we're now brothers, because we are the brotherhood of the sinners saved by grace, and by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as Jesus did, holy and acceptable to him, which is your spiritual worship. That, that Your worship, you have two kinds of worship, right? You have the worship that you do when you're gathered in the body, um, as a body, to, to sing and praise and hear the word of God and receive communion, all those kinds of things. And then he says you have a spiritual worship that you're intended to give as well, and that is your life. 
lay down your life exactly like Jesus said. Pick up your cross and follow me. Lay down your life in order that you save it. It's, that's your spiritual worship, Paul says, is give him your body in the same way Jesus did. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't have the same concerns and desires and that this world has, he says. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't look like the world. Don't allow it to shape you. No, be transformed. Become a new thing, a completely new thing. Because what it recognizes when he says that is the first 11 chapters is true. You've been conformed to the world, and that's what sin is. Now be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Think in a different way. Have different values. See a different purpose for your life. Don't see it as, as being a good anything. Don't see it as, as I want to be rich, I want to be whatever. Don't, don't see it as any of those things. No, the renewal of your mind says that I have been saved from death. I have been restored to life. Now, this life I now live is in Christ. <clears throat> I got a second chance, and this chance is intended to take me all the way into eternity. He says about testing, you may discern what's the will of God. That's testing in two ways. You need to test the spirits and discern the spirits, discern what's being said to you, test those things, but also we pass through tests. And, and as we get tested, we rely on him. We pray and we say, Lord, how do I navigate this situation? He says that, that you may discern what's the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that goes back to that wisdom piece, right? That, that you can know through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, what is good. All right, so don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and life. No, 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 no. Depend on wisdom and the Holy Spirit within you to know what's good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. See yourself for what you are, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Don't beat yourself up. Faith requires you constantly to be able to see yourself in the light of eternity as beloved and acceptable to God in Jesus Christ. But he says you've got to continue to judge yourself. You've got to continue to see the sin in your life and change in that way. Don't think too highly of yourself. Compare yourself to Jesus. But don't beat yourself up and don't bring condemnation on yourself. Conviction and condemnation are two different things. I've said it a thousand times. Those are two different things. Conviction is intended by God through the power of the Holy Spirit to show you that there's some sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. Condemnation says there's no hope for you because there's sin in your life. Those are two radically different things. We can't change if, if we only receive condemnation. We can only change with conviction. Because condemnation says it doesn't matter what you do, you're never going to be acceptable. Conviction says you are acceptable. But there's things in your life that should be different and should be better. And, and so it's intended to move us to repentance, not despair. Condemnation only leads to despair. <clears throat> so he says, um, it, as in one body, we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function. He uses that metaphor in multiple places. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're all one having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let's use them. If prophecy, in proportion to your faith. If service, in serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. Those, one who leads with zeal. Zeal for the Lord and his kingdom. 
to inspire others. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Don't don't go about with a downcast face to do these things. No, love the Lord and do it for that reason. And then he goes on to give us these, these um, aphorisms about how to live in the kingdom. This is what Christianity ought to look like, he says. He says, let love be genuine. Don't be a phony in the way you love other people. No, let it be real, even when it's hard. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Here we are, back to good and evil. How are we going to know? We're going to know through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to know because he's going to lead us into all righteousness. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor, which is to say, I'm going to show honor to you. I want to say, Bob over here, man, Bob's unbelievable. Bob is a great servant of the Lord. Bob does all these things. I mean, just lifting one another up is what it means. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. I mean, that's the, that should be the beginning thought of every single day, right? As long as you have life in you, the day should begin with rejoicing in hope, the hope of eternal life that is secure and sure in Jesus Christ. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I mean, he's telling you how, to, how you're going to have to navigate life because all this stuff's going to happen to you. So rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Go out of your way is what he means by that. Go out of your way to show hospitality to one another. I've got a good friend that I've talked about fairly often. She's the most hospitable person that I think I've ever met in my whole life. And, and it's, it's a joy to her to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. It's, Jesus said to do that. And he said, in fact, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Well, if you think of yourself as blessed when somebody persecutes you, then it's much easier <laughs> to bless them in return. Bless and don't curse them because they, they, they've allowed you to be blessed by persecuting you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. In other words, don't take delight in somebody else's misery and don't be miserable because somebody else gets some attention. Live in harmony with one another. Man, most difficult thing, I think, in most churches, live in harmony with one another. There's always little petty squabbles going on. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. You know, don't be a social climber. Never be wise in your own sight. Be humble. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. You know, don't plot and scheme how to get revenge. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. To the extent that you're able to do it and people will allow you to live peaceably, agree to disagree, live peaceably, but don't compromise. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It'll all come out in a wash. You don't have to do anything. God sees, God knows. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's the same thing Jesus taught about loving your enemies, and which, which is to say is don't have enemies. Don't treat anyone like an enemy. Treat them all like a friend. And that's exactly what Paul says. If, you're, if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here we are back to good and evil. And this also, this overcoming language goes to um, two different things. It, it's, its desire is for you. You must rule over it. And then all, which is what he says to Cain, deal with it. Deal with that, that sin that's crouching at your door. 
But he also says the same thing about men and women's relationships after the curse, after the sin, when, when he says is that, that your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. So what we have to do is overcome evil with good. We have the discernment and the wisdom through the power of the Holy Spirit to know the difference between good and evil. He says, do good, do good.